Welcome to the C.L. Brown Show. I am your host, C.L. Brown, columnist for the Louisville Courier Journal. And in this episode, I'm feeling like LeBron James because we're welcoming not one, not two. All right, we're going to stop at three guests, but you get the point. I'm staying in-house as we're starting the heart of conference playing college football. We're going to start with my colleagues at the Courier-Journal, Alexis Cubitt, who is our University of Louisville beat writer, and Ryan Black, who covers the University of Kentucky. Also joining me later on in the show is Charles Arbuckle, who's a college football analyst for both ESPN and Fox. And I'm also going to sprinkle in some pickup lines for those of you who like to partake. But first up, let's start with Alexis joining the show for the first time. So we're going to jump right into it. This is game three of the Jeff Brom era that they've just finished. We're going into Boston College. We'll, we'll really be in the thick of ACC play now. What, what has been your general impression so far of how well the transition has gone for Jeff Brom? Yeah, I think it's been really, really good. Um, honestly, I mean, I know culture is kind of a, a cliche word, but I almost feel like that's been a reason why they've been able to win these games because um, there have been some really, you know, things that have just not been very clean, but they've still been able to pull out these wins. I mean, you look at, you know, the past few years, they were not able to to pull out those close games. Uh, Boston College last year being one of those games, they lost 34-33. So I think the biggest thing is just how – much of an impact he's already had on players and that's translated into obviously you know an offense that's you know really really good well I wasn't really really good but they've done some really good things um I think the biggest surprise is just how much they've depended on the run game because of course you know Jeff is known for you know passing he's put you know I guess three two three quarterbacks in the NFL um and so but I think now you have where you could arguably say he's never had this much depth and talent at one time at running back and so you've got really a, a good selection of guys to choose from starting with obviously Jawar Jordan, Maurice Turner, Isaac Garendo, uh the transfer there so I think yeah the the offense has been the biggest thing that's been you know um, really really pleased with uh, it's fun to watch um, and yeah you know they, they've been having some really big plays so of course that makes it more exciting and those type of things um, but yeah, I would say the offense is kind of the the biggest thing right now um, that I think uh, is really, really working for them. Not to say the defense isn't bad or is bad, but I just feel like right now the offense is shining a lot. Kind of to your point, I think the fans appreciate a lot is the competency of Jeff Brom as a head coach. Because you go back to that Georgia Tech game, they're down 15 in the first half. He makes the adjustments and he sticks to the run game. I mean, a lot of times a coach, especially with a passing background, who's down like that would have come out past happy, but he stuck mm -hmm. to what was going to work for that situation, which was kind of putting Jack Plummer in situations where he can make better passes because he doesn't have the pressure of, I have to pass to win this game. Okay. And also when he talked at halftime after the Indiana win, and he was so mad that they allowed that onside kick to start the second half that mm -hmm. for Indiana to recover that he knew it was coming. So I, I think those little things that people see from Jeff Brom and hear him talk about, I think they they appreciate that a lot. Uh, let's yeah. let's move. Uh, I was going to say let's dive back into the story you did on Jawar Jordan at running back um, because you were speaking of 
your impressions of the offense. Um, can you just give me a little bit of background on on why you think uh, Jawar is being able to be so successful so far this year? Yeah, you know, I think it starts up front. They have a, a very experienced line that's just doing really well. I think they've only had uh, was it no four plays in the first two games. I don't think they have very many because um, Saturday was so long ago. I don't think they had too many uh, on Saturday. So, you know, when you have a line that can protect your quarterback, you can, you know, allow a guy to come out of the backfield uh, and do what he does. I think that, you know, that yields itself to uh, big plays, a lot of yards. And, and plus, Jawar's just really, really talented, right? Like, he's a very good player. He's fast. Um, he's shifty. You know, he can really kind of uh, hit that second motor. So I think all of those things work really well um, for someone like that. And you have to give Brom credit too, kind of like we were just talking about him, that even though he's known for passing, I think he's not so stuck on passing that he's going to ignore, you know, what's working. And when he has, you know, a, a stable full of, of running backs like Jawar. Um, and, and the funny thing is he hasn't had a 1,000 yard rusher since Ace Wales um, there at Western Kentucky. And Ace is actually now on the coaching staff. So, Kind of a neat little, I guess, full they circle. Realize it was from, that long ago. <laughs> yeah, because he never had one at Purdue, um, which kind of makes sense because the Big Ten is, you know, a little more on the ground game. So that's what they're going to try to, uh, you know, defend against. But yeah, you know, so I just feel like, you know, and that's kind of what I mentioned. Like right now, Jawar is uh, first in yards per carry, top ten in, you know, yards per game. Uh, total yards. He leads the ACC in a couple of those categories as well. So, I mean, it's working what they're doing with him. And, you know, obviously you want the pass game to kind of complement that because you don't want us to get to the the extreme opposite where now people know you're going to pass. But that's the thing, too. Like, Jawar is, is a pass catcher now. And so, uh, as are all the running backs. But, you know, it's just a matter of um, that talent level and, and really boils down to just having a good O-line to protect him. So I had a, a reader email me after I, I wrote the column after they beat Murray State that Jawar Jordan and Jamari Thrash were the best one-two punch in the ACC. Oh, uh, boy. Running back combination. So I had this writer, his reader email in, and he just had the clown emoji uh, and then a bunch <laughs> of laughing emojis. And so yeah. actually he didn't have the clown. That was a different email. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. But he had an email with all all laughing emojis. And I, I should write them back now because uh, Jamari Thrash is also leading the ACC in receiving yards and yards per game, yards per catch. And so uh, my point was proven. But right. um, <laughs> I'm not going to go around saying I told you so. But in this case, I did try and tell him, Alexis. So we've seen, well, we may or may not have seen the downfall of Clemson. I think Saturday's game against Florida State will go a lot, <laughs> whether, whether that narrative holds true or not. Saturday's yeah. outcome will go a lot to determine that. But given what we know right now, what we've seen right now, how do you feel like UofL stacks up with the rest of the conference? I, I think they stack up very well. I think you have to put them somewhere near the top, especially with the schedule and how they you know, RIP to the Atlantic and Coastal Division. So you're going based on percentages now. I mean, they don't play either one of those teams, Clemson nor Florida State. You know, they don't play North Carolina. The the toughest probably teams that they'll face as far as the conference, just with their schedule, 
is Miami are Miami and Duke. Um, but I believe they get Duke at home. So, you know, the, the toughest thing will be going on the road against Miami. Um, but, you know, yeah, I can definitely see them finishing in the top half, uh, depending on how things go with those other two games, maybe kind of, you know, sneaking in the, the top, top five or, or six there. Um, but, yeah, I just feel like this season is really set up, especially with the personnel they have. I feel like it's set up for them to, you know, uh, potentially do some really, really good things in the ACC. And, you know, it would be nice, I'm sure, for Louisville fans because they haven't experienced that in a while. And, you know, the crazy thing is I was looking at the notes and um, if they win on Saturday, that will be only the second time since they joined the conference that uh, they would have had a 2-0 and record to start conference play. So, uh, you know, just little things like that where it's like, okay, this team has the potential to to really make some noise in the ACC this year. UK is also trying to make some noise in the SEC. The Wildcats have gotten off to a 3-0 and start, but it doesn't feel like it's the strongest 3-0 and start in the world. So as I welcome in Ryan Black, I'd like to ask you, Ryan, what, what is holding the Cats back from feeling or appearing like they're hitting their full stride is it the offensive line hasn't gelled together is it the receivers that just aren't performing up to par right now well what's what's your take what's it going to take for uk to get it all together offensively well see all you know i I would say you know if you just look at the flow of of these three games that they have been very disjointed in that kentucky each of these three have only put together one good half in the opener versus Ball State, and then the second game versus Eastern Kentucky, offense played great in the second half after slow starts in the first. Well, then last week against Akron, it was the complete opposite, where they got off to just a scorching start, and then after halftime, it kind of it kind of bogged down. And you know, it's been a constant, uh, you know, topic of conversation from Mark Stoops as well as coordinator Liam Cohen is that they want to run more plays. You know, and I know you can say maybe this these new clock rules with it not stopping after first downs except for final two minutes, that's maybe affected things. But, see, oh, here's, here's, a, here's a stat for you, is that, you know, the, there are 133 teams in the FBS. Through three games, Kentucky is averaging 51 offensive snaps per game. That ranks 132nd. The only thing that runs fewer is Eastern Michigan at 49. So, I mean. That's hey, incredible. That's, that's yeah. an incredible stat. And, and on top of that, right, this is not, you know, this is not a team under Mark Soups that wants that. I mean, they, they want to run a lot of plays. They want to run the clock. They want to hold on to the ball. And, 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 you know, that because that's just their identity. So that that's the other part of this is that, yeah, they're winning. And, and again, they, they're 3-0 to this point, but they're not winning the way that they really want to be winning. And so we'll see if, you know, this Saturday against Vanderbilt, if they can start kind of resembling the unit they want to be. Now, speaking of Vanderbilt, Kentucky has a – Special player who will be making a homecoming of sorts back to Nashville, Ray Davis. Uh, I I I feel like his his touchdown run made Sports Center's top ten plays. Well, not touchdown run, but he, catch and run. He ran a lot more than from where yeah. he caught the ball. But yeah, Ray Davis uh, going back to play against his old teammates, former team at Vanderbilt. What has been kind of. Um, what what do you feel like his impact will be with this offense eventually if they get everything going like they want it to? Because it, it seems like even in that game against Akron, they weren't able to really run the ball. And that's a Mac defense, you know, a Mac front line. And it, it, it felt like, you know, even into the second half, they really hadn't established the run. 
Oh, well, I mean, it, it's CL. I need to go back and look at the exact stat, but it, I think I'm just, I, it was that Kentucky through three quarters, I believe, had like 14 yards rushing on however many carries. And then in the final quarter, with the two big runs, one from Ray Davis, 55 yard touchdown, and then a big run from uh, another transfer, Demo, Demi Sumo Carnbay. They had 124 yards and two touchdowns on six carries. So, like I said, so you look at the final stats, Theo, and you're like, wow, they really ran the ball yeah. pretty well. <laughs> but if you'd watch the game, you're like, well, if you took away those two big runs, they were just not able to get anything going up front, which, like you said, is a very worrisome thing against a MAC opponent who, uh, let's be honest, Theo, this was not one of the better teams in the MAC. I mean, Akron went 2 and 10 last year, 1 and 7 in conference play. They're expected to finish near the bottom of that league again. It is definitely a bit of a concern that that Kentucky was not able to run the ball more effectively last week. But I guess bright side is yeah. Kentucky can say and Mark Stoops can say, "Well, we haven't played our best game yet." So I guess there's still that that bar to clear. Now, opening up SEC play, I I feel like the SEC is kind of taking its lumps as a conference through non-conference play. Some of the marquee games they've lost, Alabama losing to Texas. Alabama, I mean, they struggled at South Florida. It, it was crazy mm-hmm. that they they don't have a quarterback. <laughs> they, they don't have they don't have that strong offensive line up front that we're used to seeing from Alabama that can make anybody just be able to stand back there and be a star. So I uh I am under the impression or I am under the philosophy that when Alabama is down, then the whole SEC is down. Where do you feel like Kentucky will fit in the mix uh, of the SEC as a whole, the SEC East in particular? Well, you know, see how you look at after, you know, so far there are five undefeated teams left the SEC to this point, Kentucky being one of them, Georgia, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Missouri. Uh, Certainly, you know, CL Georgia ha- has not looked maybe up to their standard from the past two seasons. I mean, they've gotten off to slow starts past two weeks. Almost, again, came, it looked really bad in the first half against South Carolina last week, but kind of came roaring back and, and won that game. You know, CL, it, it is still hard for me to believe that, you know, that Kentucky will go down to Athens and, and win that game. Uh, so I, I just, I don't think. That they're, you know, they're going to, in the final year here of divisions, I don't think Kentucky is going to finally win that long kind of awaited division title. But I mean, I think at this point, after we saw the way that, that Florida handled Tennessee, I, I think you can kind of say it's just really the second place is up for grabs. Is it going to be Florida? Is it going to be Kentucky? Is it going to be Tennessee? Are they going to bounce back? Or is even South Carolina, are they going to be able to put the loss to Georgia as well as the way they were just dominated by North Carolina, especially giving up as many sacks they did? Is it one? Is it going to be them? You know, so I mean, I, I guess if you're putting me on the spot, see, and ask me where they're going to finish, I'm going to say so far, I'm going to say that Kentucky finishes second in the East to Georgia. That that would be my view of things right now. But I, I'm going to be fascinated by the Florida game because I, I I do wonder now. I mean, the way they beat Tennessee is it just that Utah was really, really, really good, and that we just didn't give that win uh, for Utah enough credit. I think that might end up being the case because didn't mm-hmm. wasn't Utah without their starting quarterback? That I is correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And there are eight Pac-12 teams ranked right now, more yeah. than any conference, yeah. two more than the SEC. So that's just food for thought. Yes, or maybe Tennessee wasn't as good as we thought they yep. were. So that game, it, it is going to be fascinating to watch. As as you said, I I do think I, I still am am in the camp that 
Kentucky's going to get it together offensively, mm-hmm. and and finally we're we're going to really see how how well this team can fly. Because I do think their defense is is as advertised. I think they are. Oh yeah, you know, going to be formidable no matter what what offense. But also, the quarterbacks in the SEC this year just aren't. I, none of them make me scared. You know, if if I was facing them. Um, well, I mean, I I think like you just mentioned, CL. I mean, when you look at Deion Walker and Trevin Wallace, I mean, heck, you could make the argument there. There maybe isn't a better one-two combo at any SEC defense, you know, in, in you know at all. I mean, those are two all SEC players right there, both fantastic players. And by the way, uh, Trevin Wallace leading the SEC in sacks right now. We're gonna pause before we move into my interview with Charles Arbuckle for some pickup lines. my quickly becoming one of my favorite segments in the show at least while i'm doing well i'm eight and one straight up in these picks and six and three against the spread took some lumps last week let's get back on the winning track this week starting with uofl a 14 point favorite against boston college i mean boston college yeah they pushed florida state to the edge it was 31 29 they came up short in that game but this is the same team that lost to, uh, lost to Northern Illinois and was pushed to the limit by Holy Cross. Not exactly two teams that are going to be in a college football playoff. So I'm thinking they're going to fall back to that mean. And obviously I've liked what I've seen from UofL's offense for the most part over these first three games. Take the cards to win and take the cards to cover. Kentucky is also a 14-point favorite traveling to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt in their SEC opener. I'm still, I mean, uh, we covered it in a segment with Ryan Black. I'm not totally understanding why UK's offense isn't really hitting on all cylinders yet. I do think they'll, they'll get into a bit more of a rhythm at Vanderbilt. I'm taking UK to win, but give me the Commodores to, to cover. I think 14 is too much. Um, they're not going to be able, UK isn't going to be able to kind of bully them in the way that they were able to in uh, against MAC competition, against Akron, and, and in their opener um, against Ball State. So the final game, the national game, is a meeting of two top 10 teams. The only such meeting this weekend uh, nationally, Ohio State is traveling to take on Notre Dame. The Buckeyes are three and a half point favorite, which I mean, I'm scrolling my mental Rolodex here trying to figure out a when's the last time the Irish have been a home underdog and B why do people have so much faith in Kyle McCord that as the Buckeyes quarterback that he can get it done in that environment? I mean, I know he's throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr., but he's got to get him the ball. And I think uh, Notre Dame has something for him. So I'm taking the Irish both straight up and to cover. So that'll do it for pickup lines. The next voices you hear will be that of myself and Charles Arbuckle. What What are your early impressions on on Jeff Brom's tenure at the University of Louisville? Well, I, you know, I mean, I got to call a, a game there last year and then the past few years, and I think 
you know, Jeff knows the lay of the land there. He knows Louisville. He knows, you know, he having to play there. Uh, but also coming from Purdue, he understands being at a power five, you know, school at a different in a different conference. So I think what he's been able to do is probably go there and say, really understand, hey, this is what I need to do to get this team ready to compete in the ACC, which is ever expanding like all these conferences now. But what I like that he's done is, you know, he 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 took a team at like Purdue that needed a total reboot. Now he's back at, at Louisville, which didn't probably need as much of an overhaul, but still needed some things to change because Louisville has always been one of those schools where, you know, they made their claim to fame those Thursday night games when, you know, Teddy Bridgewater was there and I was calling ESPNU games to, you know, now upsetting teams that they, you know, they probably shouldn't. And I think Jeff understands that better than anybody having been a Louisville alum. Yeah, I, I kind of want to segue into the fact that he's used the portal to to make this overhaul. Um, is this basically the way of we, we basically got to get used to this, the wave of the future? I mean, he, he had 24 guys come in through the portal. I mean, I don't expect it to be as extreme as Dion and his situation at Colorado, the way he overhauled that roster. But uh, do, you, do you see more and more coaches fitting more? kind of this Jeff Brom, the formula that he's used where where it might be seem like basically a total recruiting class, 20, 20 plus guys that come from the portal. Yeah, I, I think we will. I, I think it's going to be the wave of the future because I think the college coaches understand. Luke Fickle's probably been the most active, you know, a guy that went to Wisconsin and needed to, you know, beef up his team and really help them understand but somebody that I coach with in the Alliance of American Football, Hugh Freeze at Auburn. And what they're doing is they will have a general manager type of guy on their staff. And I worked with one that is on Hugh Freeze's staff that understands how to, you know, having some NFL experience, but been in college as well and understand the recruiting aspect of it, but also identifying talent that can come in and give you one, maybe two, and sometimes three years. So you have to kind of learn how to look at your board a little bit differently. I mean, I can remember, you know, playing football where you could never get back in the back to see, you know, Jim Finks's board when I was with the Saints or uh, Bill Polian or Bill Tobin's board at the Colts. But they have players in mind and they want to make sure that if this guy is available, that's who they slot in those positions. So I think the college coaches are starting to understand that. They're hiring general managers. They're hiring player development people. They're hiring bigger staffs. And if you want to compete and compete quickly, you have to do that. Lane Kiffin is another one that's been very, very active in the transfer portal. Um, so even the former coach for you guys, Scott Satterfield, or guys at Louisville. So I think it's going to be one of those things we see in the coaches that can do it the best, that can get guys to come in and match their system quickly, like and Jeff Brom has been able to do that, and I think part of it is just being able to see different places and how they do it, and understanding who he can get in the Louisville, and also who he thinks will fit there because he understands that from a not only a personal experience but now as a coach himself. I think that's fascinating. I mean, it, we're basically seeing the the NFL NFLization, if you will, of, yeah, of college yeah, football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are because you know the NFL doesn't like to say, "Well, we run zone read or RPOs," but they do. 
And so you see some of that maturation of college coaches or even high school coaches. You know, some of Art Brow's principals are in the league. Will we call him that? No, because he's a maybe a pariah or people don't want to admit that. But college football has also become prevalent when you have quarterbacks that have played in systems where it's more spread and more of that. And so those coaches understand, hey, if I got Justin Herbert, I need to understand how to do the spread offense with the RPO situation and still have the effect of running. Colleges have said, okay, if we're going to be an NFL model to a certain degree, we need to understand how to recruit kids from high school, but we also need to understand how to do this free agency or transfer portal situation uh, effectively. And I think we're seeing it. Nick Saban is getting into the transfer portal. Um, You know, uh, Kirby Smart has done a really nice job of picking who they want. There's some teams that have to do it. There's others that do it because they they need and they find a, the the right fit for their their uh their programs. One coach who is not diving into it so far is uh Clemson's Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> and and that that brings me to my next question in terms of the ACC race. Uh you mm-hmm. you called Duke's game uh the week after they knocked off Clemson, right? Uh Duke and Lafayette. That's correct. Yeah, that's yes. correct. So how did you I mean I I think Coming off of last season, people expected Duke, especially their schedule is much tougher to me this year than it was last year. People kind of expected Duke to maybe fall back to the mean, but uh, they look pretty strong. How do you see the ACC in general? How do you see this race stacking up and uh, and how do you where do you see Louisville fitting in there? You know, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised with how Louisville has played. They've been, you know, really Kind of Louisville and Syracuse have been the two surprise teams, right? I, I think they've been the teams that have said, hey, you know, we got a chance. We've always kind of been in that middle to lower tier, but we need to play well. And they both have started at 3-0, and one of the, what, only 36 teams in the country that are 3-0 are and right now at the, maybe 38. I think the big thing with Clemson, getting back to your original question, is Dabo's going to have to come off of the whole thing of I'm not going to go in the transfer portal because it, it's a new way of thinking. And he's starting to get a little bit different, even ha- hiring Garrett Riley and having to change offensive systems and probably going to have to do some of the same thing. Because think about it for a while, they never had to really change their coaching staff. They stayed pretty much the same, but he's lost Tony Elliott to Virginia. Um, and then he also lost his defensive coordinator now at Oklahoma and he has to figure out ways to adapt to the to the times. And I think that's the one thing Nick Saban doesn't get enough credit for. As much as we talk about him being surly and ornery, Nick Saban understands, hey, I got to stay relevant and I got to stay fresh with the times. But I think the biggest – if Florida State always struggles in BC, it seems like I've called games there. I've seen them. They just get up there and there's something about Chestnut Hill that makes them not feel comfortable in playing Florida State football. I think that they'll be good. It's interesting out of the, the teams. I told people before the season, North Carolina was going to be much better because Gene Chizik wasn't going to have a bad defense two years in a row. And they're playing pretty true to form. And with uh, with their quarterback, May, who can really spin the ball, I think they've got a chance. And I think Miami. I think Miami's in the mix because if you – Look at Miami now. They didn't – if they would get punched in the mouth the last few years, they didn't respond well. They did – they have been able to lately. But I think Miami is another team to contend with. And I'll tell you this, Duke's defense and offensive line, I have not ever seen Duke have two high 
draft picks on the offensive line like they do now. And their defensive front, they can rotate three or four in the interior defensive line. And nine to ten, it's eight or nine specifically on that D front. And they're they're good. And their back end probably is one of the best in the country that I don't think a lot of people understand because they've got some transfers that have come in from Miami, um, you know, and other locations, uh, Texas A&M, and they can run. And so I think Duke has, has a chance. It's just, can they get through that slate of Notre Dame and some of the other? They're going to have a tough stretch here in the next few weeks. We'll see if Duke is for real. I think you got to look at Florida State and you got to look at those other teams that I mentioned. And that other thing about Duke, they have a quarterback who can put oh. it all together in Riley Leonard, which oh, brings man. me to Alabama and the SEC because <laughs> they <laughs> seem to have a quarterback <laughs> problem. Yeah. And they've been the barometer for the SEC for so long. So, if Alabama is down like this, does that mean the SEC as a whole is down? Yeah, I think it's Alabama, and I think it's across. When one of your better quarterbacks is Spencer Rattler, nothing against him, but he's been up and down. But he's played pretty well this year. That's probably your, one of your better quarterbacks. I know there's some others. But the SEC quarterback play, you can just look across the conference and see that it's not at the high level and it's not – performing like it used to in the past. And I think that's that's the biggest problem when you look at the SEC, whether you're looking at Alabama, who's trying to figure out if it's Jalen Miro, who now is going to be the starter, according to Nick, Nick Saban. Um, you know, you can look at Georgia, who struggled this weekend against Spencer Rattler. Um, there, there's, you know, I, I guess even when you got to look at Kentucky, and we throw them in the mix. Devin Leary, who was a guy that played very well for Louisville, I mean, excuse me, for NC State, decided to transfer. He may be one of your better quarterbacks or top-tier quarterbacks in, in Kentucky's 3-0. So I, I, and, and I don't know if they're going to – I know they're going to struggle some, but I think the thing is quarterback play has not been very good in the SEC, and Joe Milton is a prime example. He made some, some very bad decisions this past week. Florida's quarterback, Graham Mertz, who has come in from uh, Wisconsin, I think, played actually pretty well for the first time. And he looks like he's getting more and more comfortable with Florida. But I just don't think the quarterback player is at the level that it needed to be. And that's probably why you're seeing a drop-off in the SEC. Yeah. Do you think – I'll let you go on this question. Do you think Kentucky is in position to take advantage of that? I mean, given they do have one of the the better, more experienced quarterbacks in the league right now. But it, so far in these three games, it seems like they haven't all quite clicked. Despite the numbers, I know they scored 44 against Ball State mm -hmm. and uh, 35 against Akron. It it just doesn't seem like they're running on on all cylinders right now. Yeah, it doesn't. And and that's that's the one thing that you kind of wonder about. How long does it take for the light bulb to click for everybody to all be on the same page? They don't have enough time to wait. They're 3-0, and but is it fool's goal? And I, I do think this. Devin Leary showed me that he could play, and he was pretty effective at NC State. But you're going to have another – it's going to raise another level from a defensive perspective in the SEC. It just does. Uh, and, and I think everybody knows that's been a barometer, and you're trying to catch up to that. But if you can find ways to win and be effective against a Florida, I think that Kentucky's got Florida this week, which is a big challenge for them. If they, they're they're, they're at yeah. Bandy this weekend. Yeah, I'm, they I'm sorry, they're, yeah. they're at Bandy and then Florida. Excuse me. That's a good test for you because if you're, if Devin Leary hasn't played at the level that he needs to, 
He has one more game. Vandy is much improved, but they should beat Vandy. And then that sets you up for a chance to really play well against Florida. Because Florida is going to do what they do, and that's run the football. If your defense can stop them, and Kentucky's played pretty good defense this year, you, you know, it's been, a, it's, it's been questionable at times. But I think that's one of the things I want to see. And that's a game I had circled before the season even started for Kentucky to see how well they will play against Florida because consistently that's one of those teams that when, they, when they're playing well, they find ways to beat a Florida, test Georgia, give Tennessee all they can handle. And I think that those are the things out of the East that you look at perennially this year until they move away from uh, divisions. That's a wrap on another edition of the CL Brown show. If you like what you heard, make it easy for yourself. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. So the newest episodes will just be waiting for your listening pleasure. Also, if you feel so inclined, go ahead and leave a review. Let's spread some love in this world. We need more of it, right? And lastly, I'd like to give a shout out to my man, Paul Rogers, who is the voice of the Cardinals, told me he listens to the podcast. So now I know at least two people are listening, my mom and Paul Rogers, and hopefully many, many more. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch up next week.